Welcome back to Ether Hour, everybody. I am your host, Conrad Franz, joined as always by Dimitri Kalyagin. So much has happened since you've heard from us last. This isn't actually going to be what you might normally expect from Ether Hour. We're going to do a deep dive into all of the converging and different takes on what went down with the coup, the Wagner coup in Russia that started on June 26th, 2023. So we're going to be doing a deep dive on all of that. We're going to be discussing the winners and losers here at the beginning. And, you know, this is some controversial stuff. We're not going to hold back on any of the theorizing or analyzing of the takes. So that's why this is an ether hour. You know, be sure to subscribe to hear the juicy stuff. We, uh, you know, not good for YouTube. Let's put it that way. But yeah, with all of that, Dimitri, how are you feeling in the midst of in the aftermath of all this? Well, I mean, there's a lot of emotions going around. There's excitement, anxiety, fear, um, you know, some hope as well. The fact that people are actually paying attention to the actions of the Russian deep state. Perhaps Putin is getting awakened as to exactly what the reality is behind the scenes. Maybe big moves are being made. You know, maybe big changes are coming sometime soon in the Ministry of Defense in Russia. Perhaps, um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of speculation. Definitely a lot of people are giving their opinions, some solicited and some completely unsolicited, uh, some asked for and some, uh, you know, uncalled for. But we're here today to kind of break it down for you. As you know, our knowledge base is quite broad, but we come from two different perspectives here, one Russian and one perhaps American, but there's definitely a simple view of this particular problem. The view is that what we saw happen on the, on the last weekend, on the 26th of June, as well as the aftermath, what happened before, shortly, and of course after, does have an intricate relation with the Russian deep state and the powers that you know, operate within that deep state has less to do perhaps with, you know, the actions of foreign powers or, you know, as we usually talk about the intervention of the CIA. And I think we agree with Conrad on that. Yeah, I think obviously the CIA are going to be probing and have their eyes looking at all these options. And I'm sure they were thinking of ways to take advantage of the Prigozhin Wagner, you know, coup for lack of a better word. But I, I think you're, you're absolutely right in the sense that this, what we're seeing is a is a power struggle, is a is a struggle behind the scenes for the Russian, within the Russian deep state. And we don't necessarily know who's, like, again, like, we're going to get into all of it. We don't know who's double-crossing who, but it's definitely a, uh, it's a working out of that. As, was, as this war is ushering in a new kind of era of Russian civilization, there's a bit of tension between those that, I guess, would rather see the old vision of Russian civilization that we've briefly saw, I guess, in, uh, like, this post-Soviet but pre- you know, orthodox civilization state, I guess, that we're in right now. Some people, I guess, would rather see us stay there. Yeah, that's right. And while we're in this transitional phase, I suppose, of Russian history, and, you know, even the Russian bishops call it this intermission, this Mirzhutsarstvia, uh, the, the, the in-between of tsardoms, in a way. You know, of course, you wouldn't say that in the Soviet period when the atheists ruled in the education system, the government, and basically all, all culture and society. But now we're in this period where the Orthodox Church is perhaps at its richest and it's at its most powerful state. And But there are still these other influences in society, running culture, running politics, running journalism, media in Russia and also in Russian adjacent, you know, former Soviet Commonwealth of Independent State countries such as you know, Kazakhstan, Belarus. And mostly, of course, n not even in Kazakhstan, Belarus, but primarily in Ukraine, in which we, uh, we which we mention every day. And of course, Zelensky being the figurehead, other figures like Kolomoisky, etc., uh, Yarosh, you know, these these particular characters, they 
they do exemplify the kind of post-Soviet reality of these leftovers, these these weird figures who probably wouldn't fit into a particular orthodox vision of the future, which, you know, me and Conrad see and what the saints speak about. And in fact, what we realized, I guess, from this Prigozhin coup is that there are still characters as very powerful decision makers in Russian politics and in the Russian military who also perhaps don't see the same future that um, we Orthodox Christians see for Russia. Like, they have their own ideas about how things should be run. They have their own sovereign democracy plans, like Surkov's former, you know, he says, oh, Russia should be a liberal sovereign democracy. Like, what are you talking about, buddy? There's all these various ideas floating in and around the Kremlin. And of course, then we see, and, you know, what Prigozhin started on the 26th of June, essentially driving a tank column into Moscow, completely uh, almost uncalled for. And again, nobody spoke out against him for the first 10 hours until Putin's address almost 11 hours after the this particular mutiny even began. Notice, the, it's as if the Russian politicians and all these different, um, I guess, factions within the Kremlin itself, as well as the factions around Russia, they all kind of stayed silent because they weren't sure what position the the commander of chief would take Shogu himself kept silent the only two people who really spoke out was of course Struvikin and General Alexeyev so and in fact those two addresses will also break down especially given that Struvikin uh you know due to his familial ties as well as his kind of very interesting background does have these covert deep state ties perhaps to people like Prigozhin on a much um a much more uncanny level you know which isn't discussed in the mainstream media or even on uh, public Twitter. Oh, it's true. And I think we, we of course, saw Sorovikin release that video, but there's no real... Uh, yet at the same time, of course, there's the rumors that I think haven't been verified yet of him being arrested, supposedly. So obviously there's a uh, bit of an understanding that sort of... I mean, we understand from the back, a lot of the Bakhmut revelations and stuff that Sorovikin and Prigozhin were probably closer than Prigozhin was to most of the other generals. So that... We're going to obviously see that play out in this power struggle, but we're also going to discuss some winners and losers here, unless you have anything else you want to say about that. But uh, I wanted to say, for winners, who do you think is a winner in this? Who's your first first winner in the aftermath of this of this uh, historic event? Without a doubt, I think one of the one of the foremost winners is. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the free preview of Ether Hour episode 10. Be sure to join on Substack on our paid version to hear the full uncensored analysis of what we think really happened in Russia with the coup and Wagner and Lukashenko, how Israel could be involved. We get into all sorts of other really interesting stuff. So be sure to click the link down below, go on Substack and subscribe, worldwarnow.substack.com. It really, we really appreciate it. So thank you so much and God bless. Thank you.